Are you dealing with the trials of a difficult marriage or going through a separation or divorce? Welcome to the club, friend. Life is messy and it can be hard. I'm Jen Zingmark, a Christian life coach, and I have good news for you. There is a path to find hope, healing, and happiness, no matter what your circumstances are, and I can help you find joy in your journey. So let's go. Hey, y'all. I am talking about betrayal trauma this week, and this is relatively new terminology. So I want to dive into exactly what is betrayal trauma and how do you diagnose it and how do you overcome it? Can you heal from it? And if so, how? We're going to talk all about betrayal trauma today. If someone close to you has ever broken your trust, you've probably felt a little sting of betrayal. It's the pain that you feel after, you know, someone hurts you in that way, and it can leave deep wounds. And any type of betrayal can cause emotional distress. You might experience lingering trauma when someone you depend on um, to respect or meet your needs and someone who generally safeguards your well-being, like a caregiver or a spouse, violates your trust. So betrayal trauma typically refers to the lingering pain and consequences that arise after betrayal by a parent or a caregiver, if, if it's a child who's experiencing this, or if it's an adult, then it's usually by their spouse or romantic partner. When you rely on someone for your basic needs, as well as your love, protection, you might accept a betrayal in order to ensure your own safety. So like when it's a child and they experience abuse from their caregiver or parent, then they just expect that that's normal and they tolerate it and accept it because they have to have that parent or caregiver to take care of them. They actually end up expecting it like that that's normal for them. And it starts to begin to degrade their self-esteem and their emotional well-being. It can cause children and even adults who are experiencing this repeatedly from their spouse or their partner to develop a, a disorder and not being able to form attachment with others. More serious forms of betrayal trauma come from child abuse, including physical or sexual abuse or severe emotional abuse that comes from manipulation and verbal abuse and gaslighting. And then from a spouse or a partner, the betrayal trauma becomes more significant or serious when the partner has an affair or lies about it and it continues to happen and there's continued abuse. And betrayal trauma differs greatly from other types of trauma because it involves not just the experience of the abuse, but also the experience of being betrayed by this key person in your life, your caregiver, your parent, or your spouse, or your partner. It's both of those things combined, the actual abuse and then the betrayal by someone you love and are so deeply connected to and are many times dependent upon. Because the victim is frequently dependent upon their perpetrator to meet their physical, mental, emotional needs, 
a lot of times the person being abused just adapts to this behavior. They accept it because they feel like they don't have a choice. And so some symptoms that arise from that are you may develop cognitive dissonance. So you would actually be able to hold two conflicting thoughts at the same time about that person or about your situation. You might minimize the whole situation, downplay it or downplay the severity of the event. If it was a one-time event, betrayal blindness, which is like a failure to see the betrayal, despite overwhelming evidence that it's happening or has happened. This form of psychological blindness is a coping strategy that happens when, you know, it's a human nature. It's a natural instinct when we're trying to protect ourselves and our mind is sort of protecting ourselves from those emotions that are too painful or too frightening to confront. Um, The way this might show up is for a child, they might blame themselves for a parent's bad behavior or come up with a big explanation in their mind that helps them feel better about what is happening without blaming their parent or caregiver. Um, This also explains why many victims choose to stay with their abusers because they minimize the effects of what is actually happening. And this also explains why children who are secretly being abused can appear to have a loving relationship with their abusive caregiver. That's because they're having that cognitive dissonance. They can feel and think both of those things at the same time as a coping mechanism. Okay. Betrayal trauma comes up a lot around divorce. And if you're dealing with divorce, you've probably heard this terminology or seen it in, you know, support groups or um, Facebook groups or heard people saying this a lot. That's why I feel like we need some clarification and explanation about it. It's because many times one form of betrayal or another is the leading cause that marriages end. According to a recent study from the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, infidelity is the number one cause of divorce. And we know there are many other types of betrayal like pornography, addiction, and sex addiction, and lying, and financial betrayal. There are a whole lot of other types of betrayal that can happen that lead to the end of a marriage, but infidelity is the number one cause. The trauma caused by betrayal is something that many people deal with us. Most of us have in some form or another. So that's why I feel like it's important for us to take a closer look at it. And I really want to focus on how we can heal from it. And it is possible. It is possible to heal from it. Now, I want to go ahead and give you a disclaimer. If you have been harmed in a serious way, physically or emotionally, mentally by someone in your life, and it is preventing you from functioning normally, um, not able to work, not able to sleep, not able to eat or have a, a normal, healthy relationship with someone in your life, then you need to get professional psychiatric help immediately. Okay. Most of us have experienced milder forms of this and we're going about our lives normally, but we have triggers and we have, you know, things that come up and that's when we experience the betrayal trauma. And that's what I'm talking about today. And that's what I can help you with as a coach. And um, you can also get help from a therapist with that or both. And there are other ways. And we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. 
Okay. So some signs and symptoms of betrayal trauma that you might see. This is a way that you can look in your life and see if this is showing up, if you haven't thought about it before, and you're wondering, am I experiencing this? These are some things that you can look for. It's basically the signs of PSTD or post-traumatic stress disorder. You may have intrusive thoughts or images related to your spouse. If it was your spouse who betrayed you and you may have nightmares or flashbacks. You may have avoidance behaviors. You may have hypervigilance, constantly scanning your environment for potential threats. You may have irritability or angry outburst or insomnia or be overly fearful or socially withdrawn. You may feel numb. You may have physical symptoms such as tension, headaches, or migraines or fatigue. Betrayal trauma is unique. Because it involves an intense feelings of shame associated with being abused or violated. If you have experienced betrayal trauma, you may also suffer from shame and grief and self-blame. You might, you know, blame yourself if your spouse was unfaithful or had a pornography addiction. You may get, be depressed because of it or have low self-esteem or self-worth, especially if it went on for an extended amount of time. You may have negative beliefs about yourself and others, such as I'm not worthy. Everyone is dishonest. I can't trust anyone. Um, I can relate to that. And I'll tell you a little bit more about my experience in a few minutes, but it's common. You may have unexpected mood swings, difficulty regulating your emotions. You may also feel distrustful and hypervigilant about who you can trust. So you might have, you know, serious trust issues or an inability to trust someone. You may have difficulty maintaining relationships or even allowing someone to get close to you. You may have difficulties with intimacy if your trauma is associated to, you know, your spouse or partner's infidelity or pornography or sex addiction. Difficulty believing in your own decision-making skills. And you also could experience social withdrawal or anxiety. Many times we come up with our own coping strategies before we even realize that's what we're dealing with as a natural defense mechanism. We come up with our own coping strategies, such as um, just checking out or being, you know, a disassociation during times when we feel triggered or unsafe. We may feel like we have like a heightened fear of certain situations that may be triggers. We may have flashbacks or memory issues associated with the trauma. We may have some negative coping strategies like overeating, substance abuse, over Netflixing, over shopping, you know, all sorts of things could have developed in your life because of your experience with betrayal and then the trauma of processing and dealing with it. I have experienced this in my life and I'll tell you a little bit about my situation. My ex-spouse um, had a pornography addiction that ultimately led to extramarital affairs. And it was gradual the way I became aware of it. And I noticed that throughout our marriage, I became hyper vigilant about checking on where he was. And I even, you know, got rid of our cable. I was hyper vigilant about checking the computer and checking the history and being really worried if I wasn't going to be there at certain times, like what was he going to be doing and checking on him and all these things. If you've dealt with that and you've dealt with infidelity, then you know what I'm talking about. 
you want to check their phone and you just start to feel insecure about everything about them and about what they're doing. And it's just a terrible feeling. Well, I thought that when the, our marriage ended and we got a divorce, that it was over. The betrayal was over and, you know, that I didn't really have to deal with that anymore. When the trauma surfaced was when I got remarried. And my new husband was faithful and loyal. And trust me, I I did a lot of questioning and I did my homework, let's say, um, with him and about him directly to him. He and I had some long, deep conversations and I asked him a lot of questions, the same ones, a lot of different ways. And if he ever gave me a different answer, I knew it. And I also asked around all about him. I asked everyone I knew including our church leaders and people that randomly knew him. I wanted to know everyone else's opinion of him for many, many years because I was mistrustful, like doubting because I had been betrayed and I was wounded. And then after we were married, I noticed that some of those tendencies started to come back for me, that if he was late, I got overly suspicious and worried, and he had never given me a reason to doubt him or be suspicious about him. He had never had a history of pornography use or addiction, but I was still worried about it and sensitive to it. And that was the betrayal trauma coming up in my next marriage. And I had to deal with it. It wasn't his problem. My husband hadn't caused this. He hadn't done anything to cause it, but it was affecting me and it was affecting our marriage. And I had to work through it. I had to heal from it. And it took coaching and it took the work of overcoming those thoughts, suspicions, things that had just become part of my life because of the history of betrayal that had lasted pretty much the length of my whole first marriage, which was 11 years. So I know what it feels like. And I, I have gone through the work of overcoming in it. And I'm telling you, for me and my situation, it is possible. And now I feel like I'm in a, in a healthy place and I usually don't feel any of those things, but there are definitely times and situations when I may feel a trigger or something. It's more of just like, oh, that's interesting. I forgot. I used to feel like that a lot, but it does not cause problems in our marriage now. It doesn't come up and cause me problems anymore because I've done the work of working through it. Although betrayal trauma can be painful and life-changing. There are tools and strategies that can help you begin to heal and reclaim your life. And it is important that you recognize it is your responsibility to take care of yourself. Now you may feel like you're the victim. Like I didn't cheat or I didn't look at pornography. You know, it's not my fault that I now have these traumas or consequences from it, but it's your job to take care of those consequences in your life. It's your job to heal from it and overcome it. And it's not going to happen without you doing the work. Okay. No one else can do that for you. And I want to give you an analogy to help you understand why this is important and why this is your job. Okay. So I want you to think about if someone cut you, your partner, or your spouse cut you with a knife, and let's say they cut you three or four or five times on your arm and you're bleeding all over the place and blood is dripping everywhere, you could walk around crying and showing your spouse and everyone you talk to that you're bleeding and they hurt you and they cut you, right? 
but you would be getting blood everywhere on yourself, on the floor, and on everyone who comes near you. And it wouldn't help you to heal and treat your wound, right? You would just be open and bleeding everywhere. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to stop the bleeding. You've got to treat the wounds. You've got to encourage and allow them to heal. Get it? That is how I want you to think of your betrayal trauma. Okay. The betrayal is a wound. It's a cut. It's a deep wound. And I know how that feels. And when it happens over and over and over, it feels like they're cuts all over you and they hurt and you bleed. And that is part of it. But you have to stop the bleeding. You have to treat the wounds. You have to allow them to heal. Okay. That is your responsibility. Okay. And I want you to know it is possible. I have seen it happen in many cases for a couple to have infidelity or pornography addiction. And when they both do the work of healing and forgiving and treating the wounds and treating the causes of infidelity and pornography addiction, and they overcome them, then they can work it out and come together healed and whole and stronger than before. It is possible, but it's also highly unlikely that it's going to happen. And it also doesn't happen many times. As you you know, heard in the study, I mentioned in the beginning, it's the leading cause of divorce because it's hard. It's not easy to do. It's also harmful for you to take those wounds and your blood with you into your next relationship. It's going to hurt you and cause you problems in your next relationship. So that's why it is important for you to treat your wounds and stop the bleeding and start the healing right now, whether you're married, divorcing, divorced, whatever your situation, it's important that you learn to heal and do the work of healing from your betrayal trauma. It will leave scars, but when you learn the strategies and tools to handle the trauma, when it arises in your life in healthy ways, then you will eventually be able to heal completely. Doesn't mean the scars won't be there. They will, but they will be healed and you will be healed from them. Okay. But it takes effort and practice and learning. So if you're listening now and you recognize some of these symptoms in your life, I am going to give you some strategies to start the process of your healing, okay? And I'll remind you, if you have debilitating symptoms of trauma in your life, then you need to seek professional help right away. The first strategy I have for you is accepting that you have been betrayed. That is the first step to overcoming betrayal trauma. Like I mentioned earlier, it is a self-preservation strategy that just happens that our brain naturally doesn't want to accept it. It's a way to not deal with it right away, to not admit that it's happened because it's too overwhelming or too scary or painful. In order to cope with the feelings that come with it, you need to accept it and acknowledge what has happened. Okay, without minimizing or pretending or checking out as hard as it is to admit the truth, avoiding or denying it only increases the stress and anxiety that you feel. Acknowledging betrayal trauma empowers you to be proactive in your recovery process. You need to use this time as an opportunity 
to grow personally and implement safety measures to prevent this in the future, in your future relationships with everyone. Once you acknowledge what has happened, then you can go to work finding healthy coping strategies for yourself while you're working through the healing process. It's important to give yourself time alone during this personal growth when you're recovering from betrayal trauma. Second strategy, understand betrayal trauma triggers. Triggers are sights or sounds or smells or sensations that remind you of a traumatic event. And betrayal trauma triggers can take a lot of different forms. You could be triggered when you're reminded of the situation of the betrayal, like exactly the words that were said, how you felt. Some other triggers might be the people that were involved. There could just be certain people that, you know, trigger that whole situation for you. A certain time of year or a season or smells, a certain place that you always went or where maybe the betrayal happened. You may even be reacting to betrayal triggers somewhat unconsciously. You might all of a sudden feel defensive or anxious without fully knowing why. Whatever the case, if you take some time to think about and write down what your betrayal trauma triggers are, you're more likely to manage them in the future if you're aware of them. So if you know specific locations or specific time of years, specific people, then you can be better prepared to handle those triggers when they arise. The third strategy is practice accepting and naming your emotions. Okay. This is something I talk a lot about in coaching, but it's important to allow your emotions. Don't try to resist them or avoid them. Just hearing the word betrayal can bring up a lot of negative emotions. Like you can feel shame and grief and hurt. When people experience intense feelings like this from a traumatic event, that we usually try to make them go away as fast as possible. Our natural instinct is just get rid of it. And so learning to just allow those uncomfortable feelings is an important part of dealing with your betrayal trauma. Just face it head on and knowing like this, it doesn't feel good. It, it hurts and feels uncomfortable. It can be painful at first to just allow the feelings to come, but learning how to accept those difficult emotions that come from betrayal can help you process them and move past them and have more control over them in your life. If you're constantly running away from them or pushing them down, resisting and avoiding, then they're going to stick with you even closer. You're never going to be able to process them accepting these emotions and naming them, just allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable or alone or hurt or feel sad. It doesn't mean you like it or you approve of it um, or that you're okay with it. It just means that you are allowing the emotion, you're naming it and you're allowing yourself to feel it. So naming it can help you just be more comfortable with it. And something we do in coaching is try to describe where we feel it in our body and how it feels. And there's a whole lot more I could talk about that, but just naming it is a good place to start. If you can't put a name on it, it's okay to just feel it and sit with it and just, just feel the feeling and it will pass on its own. If you do that, okay, You're, it's not going to stay with you constantly. 
Another way, if you can't put a name on the emotion that you're feeling and you're just feeling it is to describe the physical sensation that you're feeling like my heart is racing or I'm having trouble catching my breath, or I just feel sick in my stomach. So that's another way that you can allow it by naming the sensation, even if you can't put a name on the feeling. The fourth strategy I have for you is take care of your body. Taking care of your body is so important to every part of your life, but especially when you're processing or dealing with trauma, it's vital. Taking care of yourself includes everything from eating well to getting enough sleep, having time for meditation. And you may feel like this isn't related. Why are we talking about my body if I'm dealing with this emotional trauma? But our mind and body are more closely connected than we really even comprehend. When you consistently take good care of your body, then you're better able to be in touch with what's going on in your mind and take care of your emotional and mental needs as well. When you begin getting enough sleep and eating healthy, when stressful times do come, you're better able to handle it. Your body is in a better place to handle emotional or mental stress if your physical health is better. Being on a schedule and having a predictable pattern helps your body and your mind heal. And it's also important to take some time every day just to relax and recharge, like to read a book. I strongly believe in getting outside every day just for a few minutes to enjoy the sunshine and, and nature. It is healing to your soul and it's recharging and it's so good for you. Also exercise. I'm a firm believer in exercise. I always joke with my friends when I went through my divorce that it was my Prozac. And if you need Prozac, take it and exercise too, because it's so good for you. It is one of the very best ways to take care of your body and your mind. Once you exercise, you get those endorphins going and it's a natural boost to your mental state and your mood and helps you get out a lot of those pent up emotions. As you regularly put in the time and effort to take care of your body's physical needs, you're also valuing yourself as a person and it's good for you mentally to take care of yourself physically. So there's lots of benefits to that. Very important. Fifth strategy I have for you is develop self-care tools. The best self-care is the kind that you do right when you feel triggered or you feel an urge to do something destructive, let's say you have, you know, a trauma response coming up and you have this urge to do something. If you don't have coping mechanisms set up and in place, then your emotions can just take over, just rule you and you can respond emotionally and do things you regret. It can get destructive very quickly. If you don't have, let's say like a, a self-care toolkit or a strategy in place. Many people find it helpful to have a list of coping skills that you can keep with you in your purse or your wallet or on your phone in notes and pin it to the top. In a crisis, do this and then have a list. So you don't have to think, you don't have to just let your emotions take over, but you have a plan of what you will do, a list of things that you know, this is my go-to when there's a tragedy, trauma, crisis, this is what I do. Another thing that works for a lot of people 
is to create a safe place. A safe place is somewhere that you feel relaxed, comfortable, and you can go to in your mind, even if you're at work or you're at an event or you aren't alone and something triggers you or you feel flooded with emotion, then you could step away, walk into the bathroom or go sit in your car and just close your eyes and take yourself to a safe place in your mind. It may be good to, you know, just think about a memory when you were at the beach or in the mountains or on a meadow and try to take yourself back there visually to just calm down, be still and know that's my safe place. That's where, you know, I like to go when things get stressful. It's also really good practice to develop some mindfulness practices. If you do yoga or you are familiar with this, then you will know what I'm talking about. It's a good way to just really bring yourself into the present and pay attention to your body, to your breathing and center yourself. Take some deep breaths and allow yourself to slowly breathe through the emotion that you're feeling. When you feel like you're being overwhelmed with emotion, breathing can really help you calm down and get yourself right back into the present. Another thing that is really important is when you feel triggered or you feel trauma or strong emotions, practice compassion with yourself and acceptance. Okay. Self-compassion means being kind when you fail or you mess up or you hurt someone's feelings or you lie to someone and you immediately regret it, or you mistreat someone or whatever it is, just be kind to yourself and accept we're all human and we all make mistakes and we all show up as a jerk. Sometimes that's just, that's just how life is. Have some kindness and compassion and acceptance. For yourself. Give yourself grace is what I like to say. All right. So the sixth strategy I have for you is talk about it. I do want to add this caveat that if, if your betrayal trauma is emotionally overwhelming, if it was something very traumatic, then you don't want to relive that trauma. That's, that's the kind that we're going to get professional help for like a, like a rape or abuse and um, something really, really serious that you would need professional help with, but we're talking about, you know, things that you can manage and you have been managing on your own, but you want some coping skills and strategies to deal with them better. That's what I'm talking about here. Those are things that it is helpful to talk about. All right. It's good for you to find other people that you can talk with and that you can, you know, sympathize and empathize with and, and where you feel like you're in a safe environment. Now, there are lots of different forms and ways that you can talk about it. And I'm going to talk about a few of those. Family and friends are a good option. Healthy relationships, especially for women, are really important to us. They provide us with a sense of connection and belonging, give us an opportunity to feel like we're part of a group and we're not alone in the world, especially when you've been betrayed by your spouse. It's important to rely on those other people that are close to you. When you're overwhelmed, family and friends are really important and can really be helpful. You might feel hesitant about trusting other people after you've been betrayed, but it's important to extend your trust to people who have earned it to, you know, if your family and friends are loyal and trusting, then you need to keep trusting them. 
Okay. Don't let your spouse's betrayal ruin all of your trusting ability. Okay. For many people, family and friends sometimes can't be that person that you need. So there are other ways to talk about it. One is journaling. Some people find it much easier to write out their words instead of speaking. And journaling about your experience can be really helpful. It's a really good self-care practice, actually, to journal all of your thoughts and feelings. You can even write about your triggers. Write down, what is my self-care toolkit? You know, when I get triggered, what am I going to do? What is my safe place? What are my mindfulness practices? Another thing is finding support groups. And if you're not in my Facebook group, why not? You need to get in there. This is a place for all people, men and women that are dealing with divorce. It is called LDS Divorce Support, Joy in Your Journey Community. And it's for anyone who wants help and support dealing with their divorce. And I'd love to have you there. Just listening to other people's stories and sitting and even observing, you can, you can comment anonymously, or you can comment, ask questions, talk about your story if you want. It's a good place to get support and hear, you know, how other people are dealing with similar situations. And finally, a coach or a therapist is a very good choice for a person to talk to. Now, like I mentioned before, both are great. Therapy is intended to be a safe place where you can work through trauma experience and build coping skills and find new ways of understanding what happened and what's happening now to be fully functioning in your life. So it can help you get from a non-functioning place to a functioning place and get a lot of introspection about your trauma. Coaching is right for you if you're ready to move forward. Coaching can also be therapeutic. Both are great, but there are some major differences between coaching and therapy. A coach looks at your present to help you create and build the future you want, specifically overcoming your specific struggles that are stopping you or preventing you from having the life that you want now and in the future. A therapist usually looks to your past to help you manage your present, okay? So coaching is usually action-oriented and therapy is usually insight-oriented. Seeking the help of a coach can make all the difference. Just the act of receiving empathy and validation in any one of these ways can really be helpful in your betrayal trauma recovery. Being real and raw with your story can be scary, but it can also be incredibly liberating. And there's so many, many of us right here with you dealing with very similar situations. It can also be comforting to find that and connect with other people who are dealing with the similar situations. So let me wrap up today and review the takeaways I have for you. Although betrayal trauma can be painful and life-changing, you can heal from it. I have some strategies to help you do that. First, acknowledge instead of avoid your betrayal. Okay. Acknowledge, accept it. Second, understand your betrayal trauma triggers, be aware of them. So you can avoid them if you choose and plan for how to deal with them when they arise. Third, 
practice accepting and naming your emotions. You need to allow those emotions to come. Okay. Fourth, take care of yourself. That is your job and it will help you heal no matter what you're dealing with. Fifth, develop some self-care tools. Come up with a plan for what you're going to do when you're triggered and write it down or put it in your phone for how you're going to deal with it. And sixth, talk about it. It can really help you. And I would love to help you do this. If you are dealing with betrayal trauma and you want some individualized help overcoming your specific triggers and trauma, I can help you. So please go to ldsdivorce.com and first join my free Facebook group, LDS Divorce Support, Joy in Your Journey Community. And everyone should take advantage of a free consultation and coaching session with me. We will do both on the call. I will coach you and give you a consultation and tell you all about how you can work with me in the future if you would like to. So you sign up for that on my website also, ldsdivorce.com. I would love to help you heal from your betrayal trauma. Next week, we're going to stick with this issue and get some more insight and information about it. I'm excited to talk with a life coach who works with couples and individuals specifically dealing with betrayal trauma. So thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Bye y'all. If you're ready to dive deeper into this work and learn the tools and the skills you need to change the trajectory of your life forever, go to ldsdivorce.com and sign up for a free consultation with me. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. There is so much more. I would love to work with you and be your life coach.